People want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. Hello, hello to everyone, and this is Joy Silver, that's for sure. Uh, today, our show is going to be talking about voter suppression and how extremists are destroying democracy. We'll be talking to Walker Beverly. He is the executive, executive director of Advancing Steps, and also Allison Gaines, who is the member of and founder of Justice Can't Wait. But first, before we bring, before we bring Walter into the conversation... Our question of the day is, when did Native Americans get the right to vote in every state? When did Native Americans get the right to vote in every state? Now, if you know the answer to that, please text us at 760-699-0202. That's 760-699-0202. And... If you give your name, we'll give you a shout out right here on this show, Outspoken. So let me tell you a little bit about Walker Beverly. He is the executive director of Advancing Steps and holds a master's degree in communications from Cal State San Bernardino. He's a member of the Courageous Resistance of the Desert and Indivisible 36, Inland Empire Fair Chance Coalition, Desert Hot Springs Homelessness Commission, and the African-American Parent Advisory Council. Welcome, Walker. Hi, how are you today, Joy? I'm doing really well. Uh, before we start talking about voter suppression or oppression, as I, as I often speak about it, why don't you tell us a bit about your organization, Advancing Steps? Well, let me tell you a little about Advancing Steps. Advancing Steps is developing into a transitional housing for the formerly incarcerated, and will provide evidence-based supportive services while focusing on, and I'll emphasize this, while focusing on education and vocational training as a path to living wage careers. Um, we did step back. We were planning to open our doors up in early 2020, but uh, the pandemic came and we decided not to open up or do anything towards that right now just because we didn't know what the future looked like. We have to, uh, plans to open up uh, next year in 2022, and we're very excited to open our doors and start helping the formerly incarcerated reintegrate back into our community. That's a badly needed service, and those transitions will determine people's success, and particularly what happens in this nation of ours. I think so, Walker. Yes, I definitely think so. I, I, I do, and uh, I believe that... Um, you know, here in California, we just voted for the uh, people, um, parolees, to be able to vote. And I believe that everybody should be allowed to vote, not incarcerated, as it is uh, taxation without representation. Oh, that's, that is, I think I agree with that one. Um, do you mm -hmm. see that as one of the greatest threats to our democracy? Or would you take it further and talk about a little bit about what is voter suppression? Uh, first, I would have to say, first things first, is Advancing Steps has no political affiliation as it is a nonprofit, but me as Walker Beverly with a uh, bachelor's degree from Langston University, HBCU in Oklahoma, and a master's degree, as you spoke before, from Cal State San Bernardino. Um, the um, greatest threat right now, um, and this is, let me say this, this is my opinion and my personal view, is the fact that uh, some states have voted in some new restrictive voter laws. And some of those voter laws have actually taken away the power to confirm elections 
from the Secretary of State and have now given it to, of course, a retrumplicant is what I would call it. And do tell us a little bit about those laws. I mean, do you see them in, in many states or a few states? or? Well, I'm going to point out three states that which are important to us to hold democracy, and that would be Arizona, Texas, and Georgia. And in Arizona, they have taken away the power from the Secretary of State there and given the power to the Attorney General, which is, of course, a Republican. Um, and they, we all know that's all predicated on the big lie. There was never and there hasn't been any proof of voter fraud or voter anything done with vo- illegally with voting. Also in Georgia, they have taken away the power from the Secretary of State, and we all remember that guy, Brad, old Brad out there in Georgia, right? and given it to a commission that is a, a, a majority of Republicans, and rather than it being the Secretary of State, who actually saved democracy for, democracy for us in the last election. My God, that sounds mm-hmm. pretty pretty serious stuff there. Do you have a, a historical uh do you have a historical perception of what's happening with these uh, voter suppression laws? I mean, what do you think the point of all of that is? Well, this is all, once again, Joy, all predicated on the big lie. There has ne- uh, we know Georgia has had other problems before. When we remember, um, when then, and that's the next subject I'll talk about, is uh, voter purging and re- gerrymandering. But remember uh, when they purged 300,000 votes when um, Stacey Abrams was running for governor. Mm. And that was a problem. So, yes, uh, this secretary of state taking a power away is just a total power grab of taking the power away, which the way it's done in all the other states, these states have decided to change the way they do it. Do you know what's happening here in California? Do you think that we are um, moving in the right direction or do you see this issue state by state or how are you looking California? at this? Mm-hmm. You know, I have uh, friends I've talked to all the time about California in-state and out-of-state, and I always feel that we're under a special umbrella here in California, and no laws have been changed. Actually, uh, there's been more, um, more uh, what would I say, more um, expanded access for voting. As you notice, in 2020, we all had mail-in ballots, and that will continue for the next election. So congratulations to California. What... Um what do you think can be done? Well, before we get to the federal, what the federal government can mm-hmm. do, tell me or tell our listeners about gerrymandering. Yeah, let me go to gerrymandering. Yeah. Gerrymandering has been going on ever, ever since we got the right to vote. Now, you know, I must remind everybody that there's blood, sweat, and tears that have happened for people of color to vote, women to vote. We all remember those movements or at least have historical memory of those movements. And um, what they're doing is gerrymandering, trying to take uh, away people's ability to vote in certain counties, certain districts. They will do these funny districting lines. Um, Let me tell you this. I talked to my brother who lives in Lansing, Michigan. Michigan's a funny state. We've all been watching what's been going on in Michigan for this past year or so. And um, I asked him one day, who he's been a resident of Michigan for uh, all his life, and so is my father and his father. Why is why isn't Michigan ever going to ever a blue you know blue state as far as state elections are concerned? And he says the state is so gerrymandered mm. that there's no way that it, that will ever happen. What can gerrymandering? Gerrymandering is when they redistrict uh, areas and take votes from Democratic areas and put them into Republican areas where the Democratic votes won't really count. Mm. And where do you think the worst example of this is? Uh, Texas. Texas. 
Definitely Texas. And let me look at my map here. We Texas, there's one area that it's a sliver, was what I would call it. It's got curved slave shivers, curved up to the um, up to the upper right from um, San Antonio to Austin. Now, that's a long distance from there. That's uh, several hundred miles between those two. But they have one sliver, and it's given to Democrats. So they can, so the Republicans can take the other votes out of San Antonio over to their side, and the uh, Republicans can take votes out of Austin, which are both Democratic t- uh, uh, cities. So, um, the, and the governor there, we have, let me have, I have his name here. Hold on one second. Uh, Lloyd Doggett is, is, is part of that, um, that district there, Texas 35. And if anybody wants to Google that, you can see in a perfect example of gerrymandering. Mm. Do you think there's any hope in Texas? Uh, you know what? We all were praying and hoping that, you know, something would flip in Texas in this last election. I know I was. But from what we understand, especially in the congressional and governor, this more state races, you know, that are concerned with the state are is too gerrymandered. It won't happen that way. And, you know, there are some solutions, and I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly. Well, I just want to remind our listeners that we are listening to Walker Beverly. He is a member of the Courageous Resistance of the Desert and Indivisible 36 Inland Empire Fair Chance Coalition. Desert Hot Springs Homeless Commission and the African American Parent Advisory. And before we continue with Walker, I do want to restate our question of the day. When did Native Americans get the right to vote in every state? You can text us at 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-699-0202. Ah, I've been giving the wrong phone number out for texting. 699-0202. That's 760-699-0202. When did Native Americans get the right to vote in every state? Now, Walker, I want to continue with you on this because what, uh, how are marginalized minorities being affected by state laws and then ultimately by the federal laws? I mean, we know there was a change in 2018, and that was when you-know-who was president. So how do you see marginalized communities being affected by this? Well, we can just go right back to the Georgia vote of 2020, and we know who turned out in that vote. It was uh, the black Americans in Georgia that turned out for that vote. We all know that, and that's been stated and and factually uh, evidenced for that thing about it is they're trying to take away those people's votes. They're very, the Republicans are very angry about uh, Democrats taking that state. You remember, we also took the senator's race and the runoff for that, you know, and I believe we took that because they were still pushing the big lie back there. A lot of people don't like the big lie, but for the black community, you know, there's the laws that they've created out there. Let me just tell you a couple of them. Let me find them real quick right here. Laws that they created out there shorten the window to apply for mail-in ballot, eliminate or limit sending mail-in ballot applications to voters who do not specifically request them. So we're in the middle of a pandemic, but you have to request an absentee ballot. Limit the number of locations and availability of mail-in drop boxes. 
Mm. If you remember, back in Georgia, we heard this on the news. We all watched it and listened to it. And what happened was, there was uh, I think this was actually in Houston, where they had like 100 jock bosses in Harrison County, which is in Houston. And uh, they realized, oh, God, the Republicans realized, oh, my God, that's too much access. And they gave it only one drop box in Harrison County. And Harrison County is a county of over 3 million people. Mm. And it's, it's just ridiculous. Of course, we know Harrison County is majority black also and Hispanic. Let's add, also add the Hispanic people because they're, they're very important and part of the voting and part of the voting process. So taking away the drop boxes is really something that was just to um, further restrict and get people to not want to vote. They also want to impose harsher voter ID requirements. Of course, that affects senior um, Americans and African senior Americans who have limited access to even needing to have an ID of any sort. Um, And this is the craziest one of all that I've ever heard in my life, and that's banned snacks and water Mm. in the voter line. Walker Beverly, we're going to come back to some of these laws in in states. We're talking to Walker Beverly today on voter suppression and how extremists are destroying our democracy. This is Joy Silver on Radio 111, Outspoken. She's fierce. She's bold. She's outspoken. Here's Radio 111's proud progressive, Joy Silver. We are speaking to Walker Beverly today, and we are talking about voter suppression and how extremists are destroying democracy. Uh, Coming up uh, after Walker, we'll we'll be hearing from Allison Gaines, who is the editor-in-chief of Cultured and the founder of Justice Can't Wait. Walker, I want to uh, get back to some of the... um, some of the points that you were making earlier, and that is uh, when you listed some of the ways that voter suppression was taking place, I, it made me think about the removal of mailboxes in August when the uh, presidential campaign was going forward. Can you tell us more about some of these items in other states as well? Well, let me finish with following up with the uh, Georgia. And the one that just really sticks out to me, I mean, it's, and it's not even really about uh, what I'd say, trying to keep people from voting, but it can be. And that's banning water for people waiting in lines. And this is in Georgia. Yeah, in Georgia, we've seen the lines where they're five to eight hours and people are waiting. And if they'd rather somebody fall out and get sick and not be able to vote than somebody giving them water, they have made that illegal. Uh, lastly, what I've noticed here is limit early voting days and hours. And the thing about that is if you think about um, black churches, black churches go, go voting as a group. They go after church service. They go after Bible study. They may caravan. They may ride a bus or, 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 
or carpool over to the voting sites. They're trying to limit the access to the black Americans there in Georgia from doing what they regularly do to go vote. It's very disappointing. Um, let me just point out one other state here real quick, and that'd be Arizona. Mm. Arizona's uh, made it harder to remain on the absentee voter list. Um, they also impose stricter um, signature requirements for mail-in ballots and expanded uh, voter purging or risk faulty voter purging. The thing about voter purging is here, let me give you the definition for that, where I put it. The process that helps states and counties maintain and update voter rolls and data by canceling registrations of voters who, who no longer are eligible to vote. Mm. Well, actually, everybody's eligible to vote. There's ever no one that's not eligible to vote unless they're incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Of course, maybe in Arizona or Georgia, they might have some different things about felons or that, but pretty much everybody's eligible to vote. What they're doing, if you miss an election, they'll purge your vote. We all remember this, like I said earlier, that happened in Georgia with the Stacey Abrams election, and they purged like 300,000 votes that year. If, if anybody, if you remember, Joy, do you remember that? I remember that, and I also mm -hmm. remember that that same tactic had been used in an earlier election in Florida. So I yes. think uh, Georgia got their their uh, marching orders from the Florida success at doing something similar to that. Right. Right. Well, no, all this is just once again predicated on the big lie, and I will continue saying that because this has, God has to be debunked. It's a danger to our country. It's a danger to our elections, and it's a danger to democracy. Hmm. The the um, we had the dismantling of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which was strengthening. Uh, well, actually, what that was about was not allowing states to uh, identify and pass any new laws to hold people back from. Uh, voting, especially if they had a history of racial bias. Right. So we're seeing, uh, from a federal point of view, we see, like I had mentioned earlier, the existence of taking mailboxes out of commission right during uh, uh, the election, uh, during mm -hmm. the presidential campaign. What do you think the federal government could do to overcome this oppression suppression thank you very much for asking me that um there have been a couple of bills on the on that the um house has passed the congress has passed already um and that would be the john Lewis revised voting act and that one modernizes the voting uh rights act formula to determine which states have patterns of discrimination and it requires public officials to announce all voting changes at least 180 days before elections and gives the government, the federal government, more authority to send observers out in place that have a risk of discrimination, discrimination at the polls and early voting. Um, this act has been here actually since the beginning of 2020. Mm. Um, as soon as the election happened, this act was implemented by the uh, House of, uh, of Representatives in our federal government, and it's been sitting on the uh, Senate side uh, just waiting for a vote. That, uh, that tells us that voting is very critical, uh, especially in um, non-presidential votes. It seems to be difficult to get people to realize that this is when voting is almost maybe even more important in a certain way than the presidential because many decisions 
that will help that president move forward on programs is dependent upon that Senate and who's in the majority in the Senate and how easy it is to create coalitions to pass bills. Do you think that's possible, Walker? Can we make I do it think happen? That's possible, and I have another um, voting right uh, bill that's on the Senate side right now. We'll, well get back to that when we come back. Well, we're, we're, I'm going to have to say goodbye at this point in time, Walker. But I'll uh, be I'll be excited to hear what you've got to say at the Courageous Resistance of the Desert meeting this evening. I, I will see you then. All right. Thank you so much for participating and being our guest today on Outspoken Radio 111. Turning back the ugly wave of hate that seeks to divide. Joy Silver is Outspoken on Radio 111. Uh, Here we are with Allison Gaines. She's joining us today all the way from Puerto Rico. And that's not where she lives, but that's where she's temporarily living. Allison Gaines is the editor-in-chief of Cultured, the founder of Justice Can't Wait, the co-founder of Writers and Editors of Color. She is a PhD student studying racial discrimination and bias. She's a poet and an essayist, and she is working on her first novel. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited that you're on the show today. Uh, I Tell us a little bit about your organization, particularly Justice Can't Wait. Of course, uh, Justice Can't Wait is an organization that I founded last year in the wake of the racial rec- uh, reckoning. And my goal was to create an organization that would attend to social programs that are lacking within the community um, and offer uh, services like uh, homework help and like um, addressing poverty. And I wanted to have a conflict resolution center. So those are the things that the organization is interested in developing. Uh, We also train activists. um, And right now we have the publication culture that is the voice of those activists of Justice Can't Wait. And so so that the culture comes out of the the organization Justice Can't Wait? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, So today's show is about voter suppression. I often call it voter oppression and how the extremists are destroying democracy. So I want to ask you a little bit about how you see voter suppression working and how the strategy, even from a historic perspective, has been implemented. Okay, perfect. I think that voter suppression right now is the biggest, biggest ticket item to me because without that, we don't have a democracy. So... Historically, uh, conservatives have, regardless to what political party they've been associated with, have always tried to curtail the political power of the majority. Um, And the way they do that is by strategically curtailing voting rights in certain areas. So what I like to say is um, that we can't take no for an answer on voting rights. 
um, and I wrote an article by that same name. And the goal of me saying that is that I feel like too often we just accept um, not getting something passed as acceptable when real when in reality we have a societal expectation to continue to fight for that. So I think that if we do not have voting rights that embraces everyone, like the entire electorate, then we're going to really have trouble calling ourselves a representative democracy. So do you think we're at that point now? I definitely think we are because of how many voter suppression laws have been enacted across states. Um, It's a systematic attack. So I feel like at this point, um, if we do not change it, I'm afraid that the next election cycle, especially with the midterms, will not be reflective of the people's will because there are too many laws put into place that are trying to suppress the vote, like um, kicking people off the voter rolls, um, forbidding people to be given water in line, like in, in Georgia, that sort of thing, um, uh, banning, you know, banning voting at certain times on Sunday when in Georgia, uh, vote for the, uh, vote, uh, vote, getting the vote out for the polls on Sunday has always been a black power initiative. So, and this is also impacting Latino communities, Um, This is uh, impacting uh, a lot of communities across the board. And so I guess to me, I feel like we are there. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that we've gotten here, but we definitely are. Well, I don't think it's the first time in our history that people of color have been marginalized and uh, their vote has been uh, suppressed. Yeah, I totally agree. What's your view on that? Um, I feel like Fannie Lou Hamer, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, had it right. And I also love the quote by Ida B. Wells, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Um, so I think that what we're dealing with now comes from a long history of voter suppression, ending with actual slavery. Um, the idea of bringing black people into the democracy has always been controversial. And even with the passing of the 19th Amendment, which has been celebrated as a victory for women, um, left out a lot of black women in the South who did not have the right to vote at that time. So I feel like what's playing, on, what's playing out right now in the public uh, sphere is very much a continuation of the fight against Jim Crow. And that's why even um, more moderate people like Joe Biden have characterized these voter suppression laws as voter suppression 2.0, because essentially that's what it is. This is a backlash from the overwhelming um, outpour of voters in the last election cycle. So for 2020, that was a, a, like a record-breaking year for voting in over 100 years. And every time we make a lot of progress, and especially with us having um, you know, a black representative in the White House, again, but this time vice president, I think that it brings up this feeling of conservative or white backlash where people want to limit the powers that they've seen being exerted. And I think it's unfortunate because I don't think that the policies so far have hurt white people Mm. or hurt conservatives. So I think that that's why it's unfortunate that the backlash happens because it's actually, in my opinion, not necessary. When you say it's not necessary, you're saying because they haven't seen, uh, uh, white people haven't seen their rights diminished. Is that what you mean? Yes, they have not lost any power. So therefore, the grievance doesn't 
seem valid. Um, if, for example, the progressives were trying to, or progressives or Democrats in general, were trying to disempower white people, I think that would be wrong. But I, I also think it's really wrong to pretend that that's what's happening because it's not. America has always been a country of diverse people. Um, and I think that us embracing that diversity is, is important and that not embracing it is very dangerous. And that's what, to me, leads to the extremist activity that we saw on January 6th, where that was part of the backlash that we're discussing, where just the raw anger and vitriol that, that they could not maintain um, the power that they wanted to, and just the lack of faith in the majority. Because to me, that's what a democracy is. It's like, it's us living with one another, even though we come from different backgrounds, and trusting one another to have one of those best interests in mind when we make policies, when we state our ideas. Well, you see the democracy as the plurality of people accessing or having a voice and a vote in the say as to the way things happen, but not everybody feels like that. And many times our opposition feels like their power is being taken away, particularly when their own personal situation has undergone some differences, for example, stagnant wages in the economy and the effect on the perception of power being given to someone other than those who have previously had what they thought were good lives. Right. I think that going forward, the goal should be to create a society that works for everyone. And I think that a lot of people see change as a threat because they're not yet willing to accept the fact that we aren't living in an equal society. So I think that that's the starting point that people kind of need to enter into. Once you realize that these disparities exist, like you said, um, in healthcare, in education, in access to the uh, ballot box, in representation, then the, go then the agenda starts to be, well, are you for maintaining these inequities or would you like to change them so that society is more equal? And I think that the way that the, the conversation is being entered by conservatives is not giving them room to grow on the issue because as long as they see diversity as a threat, then I don't know how we can constructively move forward. But the good news is what statistics show is the majority of Americans do support voting rights legislation and do support um, having um, equitable access to the ballot box. It's just because of some of the tactics that have been used, such as gerrymandering, um, that have really limited the expression of true American democracy, in my opinion. I, I do want to talk more about... Um power, political power, and how to uh, access that or become part of that structure, and also about generational differences in the importance of voting and how we re-inspire uh, all age groups and all strata of the age groups to understand that this, is, um, this movement forward can be done, but it doesn't necessarily happen in one day. But before we get into that discussion, I'm going to give our listeners one more opportunity, since I think I've asked a really difficult question today, and that is, when did Native Americans get the right to vote? And I don't mean every state in the date, but I mean in the entire United States. We do have a text that has just come in. We do. We do, from Joan, and... Uh, it just says, I don't know, I'm going to guess 1995. I'm sure it will be shocking. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. 
1995. Um, yes, I would say you're close. It was really 1962, but I, I would ring the bell. But just because you did mention this, Joan, I'm going to give you a ring on our bell to talk to and give you the 25 points, which we're now calling the Equality for All points. Uh, Native Americans couldn't be U.S. citizens when the country ratified its constitution in 1788 and wouldn't win that right to vote for 130, wouldn't win the right to be citizens for 136 years. When black Americans won citizenship with the 14th Amendment, the government specifically interpreted the law so it didn't apply to Native people. And then, and this is where Jones' answer comes in, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 helped strengthen the voting rights that Native people had won in every state. However, that act is no longer fully intact because in 2013, the Supreme Court's decision dismantled one of its key provisions and that required states with a history of racial bias in voting to get permission before they could pass new voting laws. So this... Um, this has been a long road for many groups, even those groups who were here before anyone else. And I think this goes back to Allison's uh, talking about how do we move forward and make sure that representation for the country works for all. So Allison, if you're still with us, how do you feel about yeah. what I just shared? I think that it's really heartbreaking when you learn about things like that because I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, and we had one paragraph in our textbook about slavery, and we had maybe a half a chapter about the civil rights movement, and we never learned about indigenous people's experience. We just only knew about it through stories um, and maybe watching a few documentaries. But it, it, when you look at American history, I think what becomes clear is um, that unless you were white, you, your rights were never guaranteed. Um, and so I think that there is, when we talk about the generational shift, we think about my generation, um, which is millennials, so full disclosure, um, a lot of us kind of approach it thinking, oh, well, our civil rights were won for us, and thank you so much. Thank you so much, past generations, for doing that. But I think what we're starting to see is that they were never guaranteed to begin with. Like, I did not know that there were, there was a time limit on the voting rights. Well, and so what I think... We that, need. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay, we Allison. We want we want to hear more about this. So please, uh, Allison, join us for more of this conversation. Outspoken Radio 111. This is Joy Silver. has a voice and she's not afraid to use it radio 111 presents outspoken with joy silver now here's joy uh, we're talking about voter suppression and how extremists are destroying democracy and i have with me as one of our guests today allison Gaines, editor of the uh, in chief of culture and founder of justice can't wait 
She's a poet and an essayist, and she's working on her first novel, which, by the way, Allison, I never did get a chance to ask you about that novel of yours yet. But before we get to that place, uh, let's continue a little bit about how do we re-inspire younger generations to vote when they don't see immediate gain in what seems like a power change. Yeah, so basically I think that we grew up believing that the civil rights were in the were in the past, that they were won for us and that we should celebrate their victory and that discrimination is no more. But I think what we've discovered especially with this aggressive backlash that has really kind of put a fine tooth on it, um, we now see that voter suppression is a problem that millennials um, and Gen Xers are going to have to deal with. So I think when we talk about inspiring people, I think we have to realize that our generation hasn't seen much change. We've seen a decline. And so that really causes despair and I think that I really can I really can understand the aggravation of those who can't vote. When I voted for Obama, which was the first time I was old enough to vote, I had to wait for 16 hours. And if it weren't for little nice church ladies giving us pizza, giving us water, telling us, hang in there, baby, I wouldn't have voted. And I feel like if we passed federal laws that protected um, our rights, then I feel like our generation will be more motivated to maintain those rights and to, to believe that government can work. Because that's what I hear most from people in my peer group and where I have trouble convincing them. And they're like, I, Allison, I haven't seen it work. So you're wanting me to believe in something that just seems very hypothetical to me. Let me jump in here for just a second, because I want to talk about some of the things you've just said. So imagine now that you've been fighting every day in the 70s moving forward, working as hard as you can on civil rights to obtain the civil rights and women's right to choose and, and, and all of the things that we're talking about now, and you see all of the progress, the same fight you were having in the 70s is the same fight you're having 40 years later. Imagine how dispiriting that feels to those of us who are in those fights. I'm, it feels like almost like that's what we're looking forward to if we don't fix it. Right. Because I can understand that sounds absolutely devastating to me. Right. The idea of working an entire lifetime and we're just backsliding. But I think that that's why my generation is more interested in structural change because we feel that incrementalism incrementalism is wrong and incrementalism is why we're still going back and forth. What we need is permanent voting rights legislation to where we can all have the right to vote. So how, and how, then we won't have to debate about it. How would you do that? Well, right now we have some, we have some legislation um, that's up for grabs that could help. Uh, we have the John Lewis Voting Rights Act that would actually help to curtail the changes that are being made. But we also need, um, I believe it's the For the People Act. Mm-hmm. The, the Voting Rights Act that would literally automatically enroll everyone. And but, it would make uh, the election day a national holiday. It would bring people into voting instead of um, pushing them out and marginalizing them. But, so I think that first, wait, I'm sorry, what'd you say? No, no, go ahead. I was saying, so I think first we have to try what we have before us. And let's say we pass the For the People Act and we pass the John Lewis Voting Act and more things come up, 
then we need then we need to go back to the drawing board. But the goal should be that we can't give up. Um, because like Ida B. Wells said, the price of our liberty is being ever vigilant. So we're free, and that, that comes at a cost because we have to continually work to maintain that freedom for not just black people, but for all All people. of us. I, I agree with you, but I will tell you that I'm no believer in incrementalism, nor is anybody who ever fought for the rights, particularly about a woman's right to choose. There we had it enshrined in Roe versus Wade, and now we find ourselves having issues about those rights that are currently considered unconstitutional, but being made constitutional in states. So it's not a question of generations believing we should do things incrementally or foundationally or structurally. It depends on us voting in people and making sure, even during the non-presidential campaigns and in the midterms, to continue to acquire and be sure that we have people who represent our values. We want those Voting Rights Acts to move forward in the Senate, but we don't really clearly have a, a, a majority there. And the, and we have let's to have be, more than... Let's be a, clear. There's only two people standing in the way, and that's Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. So that's another thing that I push back on generally, generationally within millennials is because they get really discouraged and they're like, oh, well, the Democrats aren't doing anything. And it's like... Well, if you pay attention, which I know we all have a lot going on, so I respect that, but all the other Democrats are on board with passing it. Well, I, I don't want, you know, it, it's, a, um, it's really only two people. Yeah, and, I, and I, I love your vision of hope, Allison, and I hope we get to talk again soon. This is Joy Silver. Next week, we're going to be talking about gods and guns, organizing around the worship of the Second Amendment. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>